Hi, I'm Christine Grossart and I'm here on the Big Scuba podcast with Gemma and Ian. Hello and welcome back to the Big Scuba podcast. My name is Ian. And my name is Gemma. And um, so this is episode 39, Gemma. Yeah, we're just shy of 40. It's whizzing by. That is very true. I haven't thought about that. Thirty nine comes <laughs> comes before forty. Thanks for oh, thanks for clearing that one up for us. While we're on the subject, let's just give, get straight in with some interesting facts. First up, did you know North Dakota was the thirty ninth uh, state to join the union? Wow! And also, Queen, much loved band, Queen brought a song out about um, I think it was about space travellers traveling through uh, the galaxy on a year ahead and that was called 39 that was the title of the song 39 yeah there we go so uh, if you're a queen fan <laughs> you'll know 39 <laughs> you'll know that song and um, there's lots of interest in other facts if you want to look it up but hey don't go anywhere because we've got a guest <laughs> and our guest coming up is christine grossart exactly so um so stay tuned uh, we've just been out on the kayaks. We just had a splash around there. As you know, we are in lockdown. It's all oh, yeah. lockdown. Um, that's what's happening in the UK right now. Well, happening in England. Yes, but so. we're allowed to exercise as long as we're only with one other person. Yeah. Yep. I went out for a run this morning. I did two miles this morning. How about that? Very good. So uh, courtesy of Zooming with the... Uh, CrossFit Great Yarmouth hello to you guys um, we did some exercises uh, via the power of Zoom and also uh, a bit of running as well so yeah. uh, so that and kayaking today I'm kind of done really we're going to come out of lockdown fitter well that's the plan that'd be good some press ups and all those sort of things so uh, burpees lots of burpees love burpees can never get enough burpees <laughs> <coughs> anyway moving on swiftly so, um, yeah, so that's where we are. So, unfortunately, I haven't been able to go diving, but there you go. Hopefully, hopefully. Come in time. Soon, hopefully soon we can go. Mm-hmm. Um, what else has been going on? That's about it, really, since we last... So, the last episode... Was Mike Valentine. Was Mike Valentine. If you haven't listened to Mike yet, why not? Um, he's a really entertaining guy um, and has spent a lifetime of art and videoing and creating some awesome scenes underwater underwater uh, as a diver as well but actually creating some of the best well-known um bits of cinema cinema you know um terminator born bond you know loads of different stuff and he's a really great guy so uh Look that one up. Yep, so that's episode 37 and 38. So that's a two-parter again. It is. Okay. So let's talk about this one, our guest. So we've got Christine Grosshart. Now, she is a cave diver, side mount cave mm-hmm. diver. She actually record holder. Did you know, is Jim? She? Yeah. Um, got the uh, current record holder um, that she got at Wookie Hole here in the UK. Mm. So uh, also, she's got her own um, blog got her own blog mm-hmm. going which is called wet wellies caving so look <laughs> that up not dry wellies wet wellies no and you, if you're going to go caving you kind of want more than wellies yeah I thought. more than your hunters and things but hey uh welly wet wellies caving so look look that up yeah you won't forget right. that no 
and uh, that's where you can keep up to date with whatever Christine's up to. And also, she used to be, did you know, uh, an amateur jockey? Did she? And she's going to be talking yeah. about that as well. So, because, uh, you know, we both like, you know, riding on horses, don't we? Mm-hmm. And, um, and she was quite good at it as well, wasn't she? Yeah. She was, yeah. yeah. So done a few races. So, uh, so that's quite interesting. So, um, and I tell you what, you've got to be brave to get on a horse and go flying down the field. Yeah. You know, uh, that's quite getting brave. You, you, you're slightly mad getting on a horse anyway. <laughs> well, some know. would say that about cave diving. Well, that's true. <laughs> but it does help. But, you know, having fallen off a few times from the horse, you always got to get back on your horse, Gemma. Absolutely. All right. Always got to get back on. So, uh, and also, she, uh, Christine is currently a diver and underwater photographer for ghost fishing in mm-hmm. the UK. Yeah, and she talks about that in quite long depth, and it's really interesting about the ghost fishing. And lastly, just before we get into the whole interview, she has just very recently been accoladed with Fellowship of the Royal Geographical Society. Yeah, that's pretty wow, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. and I also didn't make a mistake on that, so uh, I managed to get all that out in one sentence. (laughs) How about that? Well done. Thank you. (laughs) So, there we are. So, uh, she has done loads of different stuff. Uh, quite an amazing lady and you know great diver so yeah yeah i think that's kind of i think we're kind of covered and done the whole induction there yeah so this is part one and we cover yeah quite a lot about her past and how she got into diving yeah Yeah. so that's enough about us let's hear it from christine here's episode 39 what does it all come down to I've never lost myself without you. But for, for starting things off, Christine, um, tell us a little bit about you and, um, and who you are, so to say. Yeah, so um, my name's Christine, Christine Grossart. Um, I'm a cave diver, um, a cave explorer. That's, that's what I do for a, for a hobby, Yeah. Um, pretty much. Uh, my day job, I'm, I'm a paramedic, first and foremost, um, at the moment, but I work offshore, so I work... Um, at the moment, I'm working on a dive support vessel, so I look after saturation divers mm. as a medic, look after the whole crew. Um, yeah, so I kind of got into that from from the paramedic side of this. Um, so I work basically in the oil and gas industry, wind farms, stuff like that. We and fix things on the seabed, um, and I'm the, the medic in case anything goes wrong. When you're offshore, do you actually dive or do you... Are you no, just... no. Sure. <laughs> I, I'm too old to, to smash that glass ceiling. <laughs> There's virtually no women um, in, in the North Sea diving. No, it's um, it's, it's sap diving. So it's no. I mean, I got into it through through medicine, through the mm. medical profession. You know, I've, I've been a paramedic for 15 years, um, and I'd always looked at offshore. I, I I was into geology. You know, I'm a caver, so I like rocks and things. <laughs> I like my, I like geology. I like natural formations and stuff like that. And I, I started to do a, a geology degree with the Open University in my spare time. In my previous life when I worked in, in horse racing, keep my brain busy really. And I was looking at jobs, thought, well, where, where are you going to take them? You know, like geology is kind of a bit, bit niche. And really it was either quarries or the oil and gas industry. And I thought, well, yeah. I don't really want to want to want to work in either really you know so i kind of put it on the back burner ended up in in medicine completely out of the blue um and just went down the paramedic route did my degree that way um and i just started thinking about it i was like well do they need medics offshore i don't know so i kind of researched it and and the next minute i I was just did all the training quite expensive um looked very time consuming it took a year Mm -hmm. of work um to to get from paramedic to offshore medic um you know you need to be a paramedic or a nurse to begin with uh, and then you do extra training on top of that 
multiple helicopter staff and, and extra medical training things. So it was brilliant. I mean, it was great for my CV, <laughs> no matter what. So, yeah. And then even during the downturn, I didn't think I'd get a job. Everyone was saying, oh, you know, there's no work all the rest of it. And I was out within a month. So it was great. And I, I love it. It's the best job in the world. <laughs> Where do you normally fly out from? Uh, normally, we, normally um, in the North Sea, we go from Aberdeen. Yeah. Um, so what I'll do, I'm, I'm based in the Southwest. So I'll fly up from Bristol to, to Aberdeen in normal times, this is and um, either get a chopper to a rig from there or we'll go into the, the, the harbour in Aberdeen and pick up the boat there. Okay. Uh, at the moment we've got a, a we're working for um, a client based in Denmark so I've been flying out to, to Billund in Denmark. Moving around a little bit you don't get to see much of the, the town because you know with Covid and everything we just get locked in a hotel yeah. tested and on the boat so yeah. Um, but yeah at the moment it's the best place to be you know <laughs> everyone on the boat is is you know covid free and, and we'll yeah. together for a month and we can be social you know we can sit next to each other at dinner because you can't avoid 100 people on a, on a vessel so yeah. um, it's great so nothing's really changed for me the only thing is when i come home there's not much to do you know you know when i came home after after six weeks away came home oh normally i'm like right pack the cave diving kit pack the caving kit and couldn't do anything yeah. so um yeah it's been a bit of difficult yeah, for everybody i think yeah mm -hmm. Well, at least you've been able to work, yeah, outside of yeah, doing the cave stuff as well. Mm. So how did you actually get into being a scuba diver? What made oh. you get into it? Did you have any inspiration? Yeah, my mother. <laughs> <laughs> my mother's <laughs> fault. <laughs> yeah, she, um, before I was born, she was, she was diving with my dad in a club and stuff like that. And, um, she, you know, not long after I was born, um, you know, she became a single parent. So um, she carried on diving. Um, she met a guy and they were always sort of hanging out at the, the local Bezac club in Bristol. And wherever my mum went, I went, you know, there was no babysitter. It was like, well, I'm going diving, you're coming. And, you know, I'm going to the pool night, you're coming. And uh, so I used to kind of just just go around with her and hang out with the, with the scuba divers at her, her Bezac club. And of course, I wasn't happy just swimming up and down the pool. I was a good snorkeler anyway, because she was very keen to make me um comfortable in the water from a very yeah. young age you know i can remember her trying to drown me in jersey you know when i was four <laughs> she's like well, you're gonna learn to swim you're in the deep end <laughs> this is how you learn to swim <laughs> if you don't drown you've made it and um yeah and, and so i started to have you know just have a little go at scuba diving in the pool when i was like 13 but the problem was i was madly into horses you know i was like the worst pony mad child you can imagine, you know, all the other girls at school had take that on their, their wall. I had Richard Dunwoody, you know, Desert Orchid, you know, I was, like, I was just like totally, totally crazy about horses. And my mum said, look, you know, you, you have picked the two most expensive yeah. Which one. And I just said, well, obviously it's horses. It's going to be my career. And I thought, well, scuba diving, I can come back to any time. You know, it's not going mm. away. Um, so that's what I did. Made a career out of out of out of horses. And then, um, yeah. And then the caving scene has been part of part of my family as well because my uncle's university and I used to hang out on on the Mendip Hills near Bristol. Which and my yeah. mum was sort of looking after the caving club there. So I'd come home every other weekend from the stables to go and see my family, which meant going to the caving club because that's that's where they were. <laughs> And started hanging out with cave divers and, you know, I thought, well, I really want to do this. I was getting into my caving. I knew I loved diving. And I was like, if I'm going to do this, um, I need to go career change. Horses doesn't pay you any money and you get no time off. And I'd ridden in some races and stuff and, and um, done everything I wanted to do. And I, I had You're no other really. So, yeah. yeah. So I just thought, well, just, just change your career. And, and a caving friend of mine said, um, oh, just join the ambulance service. You get loads of money, loads of time off. I was like, all right, then. So I did. That's good. It's like, yeah, and I ended up being quite good at it, which I never thought. It was never a career. If you'd said to me, are you going to be a paramedic? I'd have said, God, no way. Why would you want to do that? 
Um, but yeah, um, I, I just got on with it and it did give me time, um, a proper salary as opposed to an improper salary that you get with horses. Mm. And um, yeah, and then I started buying my scuba diving gear and obviously I wanted to get into cave diving. That was my, that was the re- that was my reason for diving. So um, I made sure that the training I got from the very outset was cave diving oriented. Mm. So were you doing any uh, dry caving first? Oh yeah. To- yeah, yeah absolutely yes. yeah i mean being part of a caving club that was that was kind of where it all came from i was i was doing really well in the dry caving and really enjoying it um and the thing about being a cave diver in the uk is that you know you've got to carry you know caving's hard enough without carrying your bottles with you <laughs> yeah. so you need to be a good caver because otherwise you're going to struggle you're going to really struggle you're carrying your own body weight and kit with you and and yeah, you, you've got to be a good caver first. You know, it's, it's brilliant. When you, if you've done a week of, of sort of British cave diving and, and then you then you just go on an ordinary caving trip, you feel like you've lost something because you just, you know, all that weight is gone, you know. Um, this is why I keep yeah. reminding Gemma, you know, why you've got to go to the gym. You've got to be able to lift these bottles. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I've always been really broad. Even, even when I worked in horse racing, you know, you'd think as a jockey, you'd be quite skinny. I mean, I was slim for sure, but I was very muscly. Um, I couldn't really do less than nine and a half stone. I, I found that, that 10 stone I was quite comfortable. I could ride the strong horses, but nine and a half stone, I, I get a bit, bit weak. Yeah. Um, so, you know, vanity doesn't really play any part. If, if you're one of these skinny waifs that, that can't put weight on, you just got to eat more and go to the gym more, you know, <laughs> just, just build yourself up. You know, I've got the opposite problem right now, but, um, but yeah, I've always been quite broad and quite strong. Um, and that, that does help. Even, yeah, it's just a very physical ex exercise isn't it in caving sort of up down yeah. you can't even it's not something you can put into your into your exercise app you know i carried a pair of sevens down a cave and back it took eight hours i don't know how many calories you burn all i know is you're starving when you, when you come out and you <laughs> feel it the next day so um yeah pr- probably quite a lot <laughs> yeah. yeah so you didn't have any fear of going into like a dark place no just... because i say my family had always done it so caves were just like it's something that I grew up with yeah. <laughs> you know it's just a normal thing to me it's not normal to a lot of people but it, to me it was just normal that caving again like you know like diving it was always there mm-hmm. um, so I could just just pick it up whenever I wanted to and when I did I started really enjoying it and I enjoyed it the I enjoyed the um the club atmosphere as well you know the social you know I I don't I very rarely go caving on my own it's boring it's mm-hmm. well, caves are lovely but you go for it's true though because diving is a social sport isn't it mm, unless yeah. i know you there's a lot of people probably now shout outs and go oh no because a lot of photographers go out on their own yeah get that but actually yeah. a whole part of diving is, is to be a sociable thing and you know enjoy doing it with other people absolutely you can imagine coming back on a dive boat and there'd be nobody there be apart from being extremely concerned <laughs> you'd be able to get, be able to get the, the top it'd be very boring wouldn't it you know you, you don't want to come back from a dive and not have anybody to talk to about no it. or somebody to help you with the gear and well, that too yeah, yeah. oh no on a dive boat you'd have to take your own gear off you know yeah somebody would have to get, get the lift to work as well which... yeah. yeah how bad would that be come <laughs> but it's um it's, it's quite interesting that we, we've often found because we spoke to you know quite a few sort of uh, really experienced people like yourself who either go down the cave diving route or they'll go right we're going to explore wrecks and you don't generally find people who are doing both it's either one or the other and the, they don't seem to enjoy either one it's like right we'll do the yeah, I think I think people tend to gravitate towards what their their passion is. Um, there's plenty yeah. of tech divers that out there that do do cave and wreck. Um, I mean, one argument for it is if you get blown out on the wrecks because of the weather, the caves are probably diveable. 
Mm-hmm. You know? so, so you can do one or the other, um, especially if you're in a region which has both. Um, but for me, it's always been about the caves. I mean, yes, I do dive wrecks, but I don't like going inside them because yeah. I don't know. I don't know what I'm what I'm dealing with. I don't know what I'm looking at. Um, with a cave, I know exactly what it's going to do most of the time. Even even in Virgin Cave Passage, when I've been laying, you know, the first person ever there, I've got a good feeling from the geology that I've seen before and what I know about the cave already. I've got a good feeling that I kind of know what it's going to do eventually or what to expect. Sometimes it surprises you. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes it does something you really don't expect, but it's, it's rock, sand, silt, water. There's not much else, you know, whereas going inside a wreck, you know, there's sharp bits, there's things you can get hung up on. It silts out quickly. The vis doesn't clear, you know, um, so wreck diving's never really floated my boat really. I, I, I will do it. I will do it if I have to. <laughs> But I, you know, I like the critters. I like the critters. Yeah. I, I, I like the critters. You know, I've I've given up. I've given in and held my hands up and gone. You know what? I'm a critter boar. I'm a. I'm not quite a nudibranch boar, but I'm. I like watching animals and their behaviour, and I like looking at animals. I think that's I'm, a good place to be. Metal, it's like, well, I can see that in the local scrapyard. I <laughs> you know, basically. <laughs> you know, so it, I'm kind of. Yeah, I'm not going to be very popular with the wreck divers, but you know, everyone has a has a reason to dive, and um, wrecks is not my reason to dive, but I, I will do them. I do enjoy it. Well, somebody once said to us, "You got to find your magic in every dive." Absolutely. So we often uh, we try and find out, like you know, what sort of level uh, everyone, like our guests, are. Um, so for people who don't know you, what what level are you? Because you you are a cave instructor, aren't you? Um, I'm an examiner um, in the cave diving group. So yeah, we have like a mentor system rather than an instruction system yeah. because you, you can't do British cave diving in a week. It's not, you know, you, no. you need to do it over several years. Um, but yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a badge collector. I'm not a kind of, a, oh, I, I've never gone up through the usual, you know, dive master instructor, blah, blah, blah route because it didn't suit the type of diving I wanted to do. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of a bit of a mishmash, you know, um, I've got some trimix certs because I want that gas to go deeper in caves basically i don't want to be on air yeah. um i have a rebreather but again i bought that specifically for a cave project i would never have bought one other what rebreather have you got <laughs> i have an antiquated um kiss that's not quite as old as me but but nearly uh, i've got unit number 40 which is um one of the old real old sort of analog ones and it's yeah. absolutely brilliant it's indestructible you can fix it in the field you know if, if something goes wrong beyond the sump i can pretty much sort it myself very simple to use, fully manual. Um, that's exactly what, what I want. You know, I don't want to spend nine grand on a thing with bells and whistles that when I'm when I'm hours and hours from nowhere that goes wrong, it's, yeah. it's over, you know. So um, I bought that specifically for, for an exploration project. So I basically taught myself to dive it. Um, didn't pay for any courses or anything like that. I just, my boyfriend can, you know, he teaches a, a JJ, which is, you know, obviously a different unit, but he had a spin on mine and said, oh, this is maybe JJ, you know, this is fine. You'll learn this. So, so we went out and, and just, just dived it for a week um, in some warm water, getting used to it. And um, yeah, and so I took it straight on expedition, laid line on it within a year. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's very much, you know, um, a tool for a job. I tend not to use it for anything else. Really. Maybe I should, but <laughs> this year's kind of scuppered that, I think. So if you don't dive on a on your kiss rebreather, what do you normally do with a twin set? Or it depends where I am. It yeah. depends what the dive requires. Um, if I'm doing an ordinary sea dive to thirty meters, yeah, I'll take a twin set. Um, yeah. Just an ordinary set of Euro twin set Hogarthian setup. Um, if I'm diving UK caves, then it's side mount because twin sets don't fit in UK caves, and you certainly wouldn't want to carry one. Um, yeah, so I will dive the, the configuration that suits the dive I'm doing at the time. So yeah, yeah. O- open water diving, twin set, 
stage is good as whatever I need. Um, exploration stuff where the logistics, it's basically a logistic problem. So, um, yeah. A week long project, you can't keep dragging cylinders in and out much better to have a rebreather. Um, yeah, and for, for side mount stuff in, in grotty, grotty caves in the UK, then it's yeah, side mount bottles all the way. And the size of the bottles depends on how much diving you have to do, how much carrying you have to do, anywhere between a pair of threes to a pair of fifty. Yeah, choice of harness? Um, I have an old, oh, a side mount harness, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I have an old um, Dragon, which is, um, the company's long gone now. Um, they used to custom make um, gear, you know, sort of caving bags and harnesses, anything with any sort of webbing, stitching or sewing or gluing that needed doing. They, they were a caving outfit and cave divers in the UK would go to them and say, look, can you build this? Um, best harness ever made. Um, there's a lot of harnesses on the market now sort of this sort of open water side mount fad whatever that's about and and none of those will stand up to carrying you know if, if you were going to carry a pair of 12s on your side through a cave for a couple of hours i don't think there'd be much left of it honestly no. and you need something that's small and compact i can roll my harness up into a ball and stuff it in a bag and it doesn't it doesn't yeah. take up any space as soon as you start adding back plates and bar handle bars and all that stuff um, you know, it, it needs its own Sherpa to take it through <laughs> the case. So, so, yeah, no, Maybe so that, I mean, the, the harness like is, 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 it's not available anymore. Um, yeah. It's not available anymore, but I think it'll out, outlive me. Um, and what I do is when I get my um, cave diving trainees, every time I see someone retire from diving, selling their harness, I buy it and I, I've got three of them and I just keep them there. So next time I get a decent trainee, I go, there you go. There's, there's a harness yeah. you'll never be able to get. <laughs> so it's kind of, you know, <laughs> It's kind of a bit, not, but I mean, I, I've tried to get companies to to copy the harness, and they they just don't seem to be able to do it. They want to put their own stamp on it. It's like, no, listen to me. This mm. this harness is for a specific purpose. I know you don't know what that purpose is, but you know, we I need one like that. Yeah. Oh no, we're going to put this on it. We're going to put that on it. No, <laughs> just just <laughs> do what I'm saying. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, um, but it's such a small niche market. There's no, um, it's not worth mass production. Yeah. Barely a hundred UK cave divers. Only half of those are probably active right now. And that's always been the way because of a niche. And a lot of them already have all the kit. Hmm? And a lot of them who already got all their kit, what yeah. they need. Yeah. They, they'll, have, they'll have sourced it the same, the same way, you know, hand-me-downs within the group. Um, we rarely, we rarely look outside for, for equipment, you know, other than regulators. So mm. where were you when you last dived? Where was I when I last dived? Uh, oh. Well, last cave dive was Mexico. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, my first trip to Mexico. It was amazing. Um, but yeah, uh, I think before I went away, I went... Bobster's just down the road from me, so that's easy to go. I use it as a training site. Um, we did a lot of ghost fishing stuff um, over the summer. Yeah, so yeah. I think I think Cornwall, actually. Cornwall was the last place I dived. Porth Carris. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's nice. yeah, it's been a bit of a mishmash this year. It's kind of you must have called into Georgina, did you? Uh, yeah. Gina Miller, they run the free diving acquisition at Port Oh, yeah, they may have been there. They may have been. There. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was just, um, you know, all my cave diving experience has been wiped out this year. Everything's kind of gone a bit wrong. So I thought, well, I'm earning all this money offshore and I can't go anywhere. I can't spend it. So I, I thought, right, I've always wanted a decent DSLR camera set up underwater. So I got my um, wide angle built, sorted, got a load of strobes, trigger fishes, all that kind of stuff. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to get myself a macro lens. I've got a macro port that came with it. I'm going to get a macro lens. So I spent the summer swimming around, taking pictures of shrimps and <laughs> stuff like that. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. I was on my single cylinder and I, that was it. I was gone for an hour. And that's all it matters. You yeah, enjoyed I it. You loved it. And, I, and the, the pictures weren't bad. They were all right. And I was like, oh, this, this, I'm really enjoying this. I'm so absorbing, you know. That's so lovely to hear as well. And, you know, all about UK diving as well. 
isn't it? Absolutely, no it's opened another. But I'll tell you what really, really um, opened my eyes to this was um, sea search. Sea yeah. search that changed my diving. It had gone from me sort of swimming about in the sea, going, "God, this is boring. There's nothing here but silt and weed." To just completely opening your eyes. Even if the vis is poor, you can still get in close and, and notice things that you just would not have seen otherwise. It, it has literally changed my whole my whole diving. Um, no way would I, I mean, years ago, no way would I have been taking macro pictures of fishes. I'm a cave diver. Why would I do that? But, you know, it, it's just another angle that I totally, totally enjoy, you know. So this year hasn't been a complete write-off. I've done some stuff that I wouldn't have done otherwise that I really love. Well, that's good, isn't it? That's a positive. Absolutely. And if things had been normal, would you have gone diving overseas rather than in the UK? Obviously, you do cave diving, but so you wouldn't have done like sort of open water diving as such? Probably not. Um, mm. I mean, we've got two big expeditions. Well, one, certainly one big expedition this year that, that got wiped out in Croatia. Normally what we do at the back end of that is um, once we finished in the, in the cave for the week, um, we're pretty tired, so we're just going to have a week's holiday down at the, the, the dive centre um, in Croatia, and we're going to do some wrecks and some reefs, which is quite nice. Um, just There's a dive centre there, and there's boats, and we know the guys, so we, we just go out and have a jolly. Um, yeah, that, that got wiped out, so the next plan was like, well, the expedition's gone, um, at least until next year. Let's um, let's just go and, you know, go and run, run riot on the rebreathers and the scooters, and let's go to France. <laughs> <laughs> three days before we had to quarantine i was like oh man and of course i couldn't quarantine because i had to go back to work yeah. you know so so that went wrong um so no i didn't have any any fishy sea diving planned abroad it was all all cave mm-hmm. i would love to go and do i mean now i've got this macro thing going on I'd, I'd love to go and do something in indonesia or you know go and do, go and do something like that you know but but the problem is with, with cave diving expeditions they are very expensive there's no money left yeah under that you know so as much as i'd love to go go on these holidays they're not cheap you know i looked at the price florida's meant to be good florida yeah i've never dived in the sea in florida i've only been in the caves yeah. sorry seen <laughs> alligators and turtles yeah. but yeah um no again florida i just went straight for the caves <laughs> every, time, every time straight to high springs straight to the caves you know it's like oh there's an ocean here is there all right yeah no we'll go straight to- i was the same in mexico i didn't go in the sea either i just got straight in the jeep Went straight for the snow day. <laughs> Why not? Uh, so, what do the guys offshore, the divers, think of you being a cave diver? Do you like talk about it? They think I'm mental. <laughs> I find it hilarious because when I do their medicals, I, you know, they've got to write down their last sat dive, how deep they were, you know, and they they get the log books out and they're like, I think that one was 160 meters. <laughs> You know, and they're like, and they're like yeah, and I, was like, oh, yeah, and I was in sat for 28 days, you know, so they're diving at this depth every single day, for, you know, and they, but then they work out that I'm a cave diver and yeah, they do talk about it. They, they think I'm bonkers. They think I'm crazy and I think they're crazy and it's, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's just you know, and, 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 and there's one as well. Every time he sees me, he's like, you be, you be careful. You, you be careful. <laughs> I was like, never mind me. You're going into sat tomorrow. You be careful. <laughs> Like, yeah they, they it's just so different the, the the two disciplines are polar opposites and there's very few um of our sat divers that actually scuba dive there's a couple that do for sport amazing um, isn't it yeah. but not at any level no they do it purely for the money it's their job yeah, you must have some interesting conversations over dinner <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah yeah we do i mean i mean yeah it's a great fun place to work um, it's always great seeing them when they come out and we're all well and how many of them and everything like that you know how many guys are there? Uh, it depends. We, we've got a SAT system that will take 24. 
Uh, right. Normally we, we run about 18. It depends on the job. It depends on the work scope. Um, last trip I was on was only nine inside in mm. anyone. So it'll be easier to manage. Then they'll do a changeover and there'll be 18 and then the nine will come out. So, um, yeah, I give them a once over before they go in. And again, when they come out and keep an eye on them. Um, yeah. But yeah, our SAT system is a twin bell system. Take. Right. Fine. That's an interesting. Uh, yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, tell us about the uh, ghost fishing because you're, you're heavily involved with the ghost fishing. Group. Yeah, the, the ghost fishing's pretty much taken over my life in the last five years. Um, pretty saturated. I don't think there's anything else I can do. <laughs> I can do in my life. It's all I can spare do. Time? In out now. It's uh, yeah. So it kind of started out. Um, I've always been kind of a little bit of a little bit of a conservation nerd hate litter i hate seeing fishing gear on wrecks i don't you know i don't like seeing litter on beaches and around about 2011 i started doing some some beach cleans um with the marine conservation society through them they've got great uh, materials so if you want to go and do a beach clean they've got really good um packages and stuff that you can use it's all there for you and they they've got a really good database so um a lot of it goes towards um you know the sea search side of it is is look, you know trying to build up marine conservation zones mpas and stuff like that um but also the beach clean side of it's the general public so it's a great a great thing to do so i was i was was already into that you know i had a real thing about plastics and um then some dutch guys have set up um, an organization called ghost fishing which was kind of started out a bit european went a bit global um and we ended up being the sort of the british arm of that if you like um and through sort of a, a chain of unfortunate circumstances they wanted to change their name to ghost diving um but the problem with that was we were huge we had 70 trained divers in the uk it had just gone crazy we we put everything in and we were the biggest group in in the world um we were recognized at government level everyone had heard of us it was like oh my god if we change our name we've got to start all this all over again and i i just i went into meltdown i was like i've just done four years of work to get us where we are i'm not doing that again for free totally voluntary nobody takes a salary it costs us money to do this you know i turned down work to free my time up so that i can can do this and so we said, yeah, you know, sorry, we, we can't. We've got to stay Ghost Fishing UK. We've got to. So uh, it was like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> we're now, <laughs> now we're completely independent um, as of last year. So, um, yeah, and it is absolutely crazy. You know, we've got a waiting list of, God, I think it was like 120 divers to go through our training course. Um, and I, I wrote that training course in maybe a bit sooner than that. It's all a bit of a blur. Um, and it, it just went crazy. It just went absolutely, it got bigger than we could handle and, and, you know, there's so much we want to do, but we're in that we're in that weird space. We're in that weird place where we're big enough to warrant paid staff, but yeah. we're not so big that we're not getting enough money to pay them. <laughs> so it's kind of it's like, yeah, it's it's grown arms and legs, and it's absolutely huge. And we're linked with universities. We've been on every every BBC program going, and and all this kind of stuff. So it's 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 been really really great. And um, obviously, COVID stopped us in our tracks, but we've got a great media lady. Um, who does amazing amazing stuff for us and she's kept us ticking over and it's just flown by it did give us a bit of breathing space it gave us a little mm. bit of, okay where are we you know updated all our um, procedures and all our paperwork method statements all that kind of there's a whole world of stuff that goes on in the background it's normally um, myself and a guy called Fred Nunn a Bizak diver um, based in Cornwall the pair of us just non-stop every day there's emails every day there's inquiries every day it is a it's a full-time job on top of your full-time job how does it work so somebody will uh, see something and they'll then what call you in and say you know can you get some divers out there to look at this pretty much yeah we, we've got a reporting system that we set up fairly early um, and that's working really well we've got hundreds of reports now of, of divers they just it's super simple it's just like a google form you just go on and 
what did you see? Where did you see it? And just mm. go into as much detail as you can. You know, it's, it's dead easy to, to fill out. The, the difficulty is getting divers to do it. You know, at the end of a dive, people just go, oh, yeah, whatever. They go to the pub. We really want divers to start getting involved in, in just a small amount of citizen science. You know, just if you see something like that, tell somebody. Don't yeah. just sit on it or, or treat it as normal. It's not normal. It shouldn't be there. Um, tell us. Um, if it's within our range, um, within our limits, we'll work up to about 50 metres. Um, we'll, we'll go take a look. We'll do a recce. We'll go find it. Uh, make a plan to retrieve it and that's working quite nicely at the moment we've now quite a quite a few reports in the stack we've also got a, quite a few that we've cleaned out so there's a few that we can tick off um and say that we've you know but there's a lot of repeat offenders you know sometimes you'll clear a wreck and then a month later some do report a net on it and you're like really is that is that a scrap that we left or is that a new net and and quite often yeah the same the same fishing vessel will go along and snag the same wreck just constantly going back and, and getting getting it out you know yeah because it costs them a lot of money those the netting the fishing gear is expensive isn't it these fishermen it's crazy yeah. Yeah. you think they would be lost? i just lost you there oh yeah you've brought you back yeah i was just saying um the fishing gear for the um boats is so expensive isn't it so they're quite happily <laughs> snagging their nets and they've got to pay for that all again to be repaired or repaired I think it's it's desperation, honestly. Mm. You know, um, as as an organisation, we're not anti-fishing. I eat fish, we all eat fish. You know, we like eating fish. We're, we're, we're a nation surrounded by water. It's 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 what we do. Um, you know, but I think it is just desperation. It, it's they are prepared to take that risk, or they don't earn a living. It's as yes. simple as that. And they're taking bigger and bigger risks. And sometimes the the, the cost of actually getting those fish versus the net, and nets are getting cheaper. You know, they're they're, they're generally Sort of, sort of gash material you know sort of polyprop and stuff like that you know relatively cheap some of them are quite expensive you know the nylon ones and so on but um yeah i mean they're getting more lightweight they're getting cheaper so they don't want to lose them for sure but they're taking bigger and bigger risks because they've got to get that capture or they don't yeah. survive um you know there's a lot of things that, that need to change for the benefit of the fishing community and for the benefit of the oceans as well you know but i don't know where the the um un got the the figures from exactly um we've had some difficulty finding out how they how they got them but they reckon 640,000 tons so 640,000 of fishing gear every year gets into the ocean every year that's what we guessed yeah and we we worked out that's enough to fill the London, the whole of the london underground three times over every year going into the ocean and there's us pulling out 100 kilos 100 kilos a month i mean you know we we can't even put a dent in this what we can do is keep pulling this stuff out and, and that's why we're so heavy on media that's mm. what takes up most of our time you know um we've learned an awful lot about social media and we've learned an awful lot about dealing with the press and dealing with programs because none of us had experience with this we've just learned it along the way um we feel your pain yeah <laughs> yeah it's like if you can't do it learn it yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah. so yeah you've got to dabble and you'll get there eventually so. yeah that is true yeah. so um just trying to get the understanding really and there's probably people asked thinking the same thing so when these nets get reported and you send the divers down and say because some of these nets must be huge they must be Certain quite big nets if a whole net has gone for off a back back for trawler you know how do they how do they start where do they start with that because you know do you just take a piece off what you can manage or so what we'll do the first thing we do is we we go and survey and make a plan we want to go and you know, eyeball it make sure we can find it make sure we've got proper marks um it's extremely 
wasteful and time consuming to be swimming around HMS seabed looking for a net that's moved or or whatever we've done we've done plenty of that but um first of all I want to go down make sure we locate it first of all it is what it what they said it was where they said it was that's the first thing um and that's the the cost of a dive charter straight away you know and your gas um but what we'll do is we'll run cameras over it um any of our divers who come to us who who have never used an underwater camera they can now because we, we you know paralens have been great to us they they give us they just keep we keep breaking them and they just keep giving us cameras Brilliant. Um, and um yeah so so and they're super simple to use so you don't have to be a, a videographer to join ghost fishing uk but you'll be one by the time you've you've done our course because we need we need that footage and we'll sit there and look at it look at how long it is how big it is we'll uh, record any life that's caught that are alive um, anything growing on it and make make an assessment um, mm. is it worth removing is it uh, more of a habitat than a net sometimes that can be the case some nets they're not catching big heavy tr- they've been there for decades they're not catching things yes they will break down into microplastics eventually um, but you know we, we've got to pick the low-hanging fruit first the ones that are doing the most damage. Yeah. and one of our recent ones this year was a, a net that was reported to us on Handeeps out of Plymouth um, quite frequently dived and some local local divers from Plymouth Sound I think Plymouth Bezac reported it to us got really good marks as well we had three separate reports and with the, the three different reports we managed to home in on this we found it the first team that found it within eight minutes so that was great mm-hmm. and I found the whole length of this net the, the other teams found the other length of it and it was it was two, just over 200 meters long this thing Wow. And 119 animals were, were trapped in that. Shining. Yeah, that's um, good. And, and about that- 80% of them were still alive. So we so we sat on the boat. Luckily, it was a lovely sunny day. We're all there with our masks on. <laughs> we sat there on the boat, picking every single animal animal out of that net and recording yeah. it. Um, you know, and that's what people don't realise. They think they're going to go out and send these nets up on lift bags and and high five. It's like no. You then what? Well, then what do you do with the net? Because then you got this massive so- big net. Yeah, so we've got this great big net. Um, this one was nylon, which is great, uh, or monofilament. It can be recycled. Um, mm-hmm. We're working up a place in the UK um, that's looking at it at the moment. Previously, we were sending over... I mean, we don't have a facility in the UK that can handle old fishing nets. There's a place in Denmark that can handle end-of-life nets, which is very different. They're clean. They're no longer fit for purpose. They can go straight into raw material. When they're covered in years of crud you know and, and, and smelly life and they're filthy they've got to be separated out sometimes different sorts of different types of nets will be wrapped in amongst one another so you've got to separate that out and the different weights and different materials it's a nightmare and we were sending it off to um a place in norway that, that do that they do the cleaning they do the separation phenomenally expensive yeah but not really not really financially viable and do you have to fund that or is that? No, no. There was an organisation um, called Healthy Seas that were that were facilitating that for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it's not a solution, long term solution for us. Basically, we, we need somewhere in the UK that can do this, because by the time you sent it somewhere to be cleaned and sorted, they then sent it to Slovenia to turn it into a, a raw material and upcycle it into 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 yarn. And you sort of think, well, this thing's gone halfway across Europe. Yeah. You know, we, we're not very well equipped in the I mean, in the UK, we're used to sending all our, our rubbish to China. We just dump it on somebody else. We're, yeah. We're terrible. We've been doing that for years. And, yeah. and that's the problem because the stuff we're putting up is, is contaminated. Now, now, this particular net wasn't too bad. It had a bit of kelp on it, which will rot. That'll go away. You leave it in the sun for a bit, you know. Um, we've got a secret little storage depot um, not far from me. Um, a friend of mine 
doesn't dive anymore but she wanted to help and she's got lots of land and she just give it to me put it on some pallets let the weather do do most of the work mm-hmm. and at the end of the year pick it up and, and ship it ship, ship it across europe to, to be upcycled which is great but um no we're working on getting it sorted in the uk and actually it's really interesting because i was chatting with one of our sap divers who's uh, i don't want to i don't want to blow his cover because he hasn't hasn't got his ducks in a row yet but um he's looking at taking our polyprop which is the one material that we can't we can't do anything with um and turning it into a very interesting product i'm not gonna say anymore but he's already got the mold and he's already working on it and um it's fantastic so recycle recycle yeah and that's good because you're in an arena of some yeah exceptionally clever people as well aren't you that yeah you have ideas yeah oh i'll tell you what being connected is just like yeah. best thing ever you know people come out of the woodwork from all sorts of places to to help and they love what we're doing and um yeah and it, it's definitely but it, it does weigh you down sometimes sometimes you just god you know you look at there's another 20 emails you know but um yeah you just you just keep going and when you get a trip like that you know we did a survey dive got a really good survey of the whole net went down i think we got the whole thing out in 25 minutes wow that was a well-oiled okay. team and that's where the training comes in you know fred our ops guy is he, he's a real um ocd micromanager you know you and and he had everybody doing everything it was just like a like an orchestra and he was conducting you know everybody did everything in sync the lift bags went on at the right time the net came out at the right time you could have set your clock by it um and that kind of precision you, know, you get that from experience as well and, and, yeah. and but also training and handpicking your divers as well um you don't want any problems on a boat doing that you need everybody to be on that same page yeah you know, the same purpose uh, and it worked beautifully it worked really really well yeah, it's certainly interesting for people that maybe haven't heard of ghost fishing because, yeah, there's an awful lot to learn about it and, yeah, it's serious stuff, isn't it? Yeah. So we haven't got to the end of the chat with Christine. We'll be back shortly. But I just wanted to mention about other ways you can support the Big Scuba podcast. We both enjoy adventures under and on the water, and some of these you can now view on our YouTube channel called The Big Scuba. The links are in the podcast show notes, which you'll see below. Have a look and view the videos and subscribe and ring the bell. And then you'll get notifications of all the new videos uh, that we're bringing out. And there'll be quite a few, hopefully, in the next month while we are on lockdown. So don't forget to check out our social media pages. We are on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And then you can keep up to date with our podcast uh, releases and our big adventures. Right, back to Christine. I saw I was on a dive uh, a couple of years ago and um, we were about 20 meters down and this is at Brighton on a wreck. Um, can't remember. I think it was the Britain. I think it was. And oh, we've got a report of, for that. Yeah, I know exactly which one you're talking about. <laughs> and there was loads yeah. of um, fishing line all over it. Yeah. And uh, and I couldn't believe all these lobsters and crabs. Just we were busy yeah. trying to cut. We were too so busy trying to cut off. And cut free these lobsters and crabs. Huge specimen lobsters and crabs, beautiful things, you know. And there they were, they're all stuck. And, yeah. Uh, it was a shock. Part of our, our training, as well as that, we, you know, the, the training course is, is threefold, really. First of all, it's sort of basic, basic dive skills. We want to make sure these divers are good. Um, we don't want divers going in, in amongst nets that, that can't get out of them easily. You know, their voice yeah. has got to be spot on, um, they've got to be extremely disciplined. You know, um, when somebody says we're thumbing the dive, that's it. There's no argument. There's no yeah, but. You know, we don't want yeah, buts. We want we're ending the dive. That's the end of it. You know, if someone's low on gas, that's it. That's the end of the, you know, we can always come back. It's not a problem. That thing's been there for a while. It's um, And the next thing is the survey. So we've got divers working, writing, videoing, 
you know, so you're, you're, you're layering. I think, you know, the dive industry uses the term task loading. I don't like the term task loading because I think once you're task loaded, you, you're incapable. You're not, you've lost it already. It's really, you're, you're building their capacity. So you're, you're getting those divers to a point where holding a camera isn't a problem. Writing stuff down isn't a problem. You can do your dive, manage your gas and do this and do that and watch your team. And it's not a problem. If anywhere along that way that you have a problem, then you're not quite there yet. You haven't got the capacity. So so we're building their capacity, things they may not have done before. And then, of course, on day three, we whack them again because then it's like, right, now you've got a stage bottle. Now you've got a lift bags. (laughs) You're 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 kind of like a very tidy version of Buckaroo. You've got a lot of things going on and you've got this very dangerous net that's about to to go up to the surface at a rate of knots. And if you are stuck in it, yeah, we probably won't survive very, very poorly. So, um, yeah, so we're, we're pretty we're pretty hot on our training for that reason. You know, we've had no to coin a phrase we use offshore and no incidents, no accidents so far. And, and I want to keep it that way. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's why you want it. Okay, um, well that was good, really enjoyed that and um, you know as we said right at the start, uh, Christine has done loads of different stuff. She She has, yeah. Um, Absolutely brilliant, so thank you Christine for that part of the uh, podcast. Yeah, that was part one, more to come on episode 40. Yeah there is, so uh, that would be really good. Uh, Just before we round up um, for this episode, let's just quickly tell you um, uh, Paralens, you know, if you are looking for a new dive camera, um, there will be a link on the notes of how mm-hmm. you can get a discount on that. Uh, look that up, get that. And That's on the Viquita. It is on the Viquita, yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. So uh, look that up, look up that link, and uh, that will take you directly to their site. Uh, and also, if you are looking for a drone, look at and DJI uh, a company that do lots of different drones and mm. lots of different video and equipment uh, do some brilliant stuff Jim you, you know, yeah and uh, they've got it's all for entry level as well as the professionals there is well. yeah there's a whole range right right from professional all the way through so uh, we don't ha- we don't get discount on all of them but there mm-hmm. is some there's a few there you can have a look you know if you are looking for a new drone then give us a look follow the link and that'll take you to where you can get, I think it's something like 5% discount. You yeah, can get, it's which, worth because they're all, you know, a good few hundred pounds, aren't uh, they? Yeah, all adds up. So, uh, and why not? Why not? You know, we're in lockdown, so why not try and save some money if you, yeah, if you get, need to? So, get a drone uh, while you've got the time on your hands. Exactly. So, uh, so follow that link. Um, it's all there. And you can learn how to fly one. Uh, and I think that's it, really, from us. I yeah, think. yeah. See what else exciting. Before we go, uh, as always, you know, we're on YouTube. Have a look, and we always need subscribers. And also, don't forget if you get a chance, have a look. Uh, keep up to date with the social media where we are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Twitter. So uh, that's where it's all happening. Yeah, I think that's covered everything. So. It is. Yeah. All right. So, thank you very much for listening, and that's it for me. Yeah, and goodbye from me, and goodbye from him. (laughs) 
see you soon. Bye.